Yo, 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 what is happening? Sync Gems. Today we have Brian McKinney. Brian McKinney has such a different path. He started with music, but then quickly moved into promoting and becoming that PR manager, agent that pushes bands and books gigs. He went to the Marine Corps and that was really weird on his end. And you'll hear more about it and how it has helped him in becoming a more resilient and also developing the bulletproof mindset that he has right now. We talk about so many things, specific in sync, but a lot of mindset gems there. A lot of things from legacy, from leaving a legacy to really having fun and being excited and how to keep that excitement going. Because Brian is the epitome of that, of being excited and loving what he does. If you dig this episode, please let me know, reach out on socials, and most importantly, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on wherever you listen. This really helps the podcast grow and get to more ear holes and more people that can listen, get value, and also for new guests to come on. And without further ado, my man, Brian McKinney. Okay, Brian McKinney in the house, in the home, in the flesh. On my couch. Um, Sam and couch. On the couch. Yeah, it's Brian's background is pretty cool. I I I just imagine the the clips I'm gonna get from it. But Brian, you know, I've I've been I've been thinking about the bio you sent me and about what I've uh, seen about you, and we've talked a little bit back and forth before this. And I would really love to hear your story because your story is not very typical. Like you have disciplines from multiple areas of life. And the the thing that came up to my mind was transferable skills. These are the two mm-hmm. words that really just completely blew, when I when I think about you, these are the words I think about for some reason, maybe we'll find it out later. But I want you to tell me your story and tell me how you got to where you are right now to the success you have right now and what brought you to 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 this moment where you are doing what you're doing so passionately and i i took the long road um i'll i'll be honest i took the long road and i took the slow road but it sort of set me up in a way that i think is pretty unique um and like you said there are a lot of transferable skills. So uh, out of high school, I went to the Marine Corps, did that for four years, learned a lot about myself, <laughs> learned I didn't like the military. Um, but, you know, it it kind of clicked something in my mind about responsibility and dedication and, and following through. And uh, I, I didn't get great grades in high school. So when I got out of the Marines, I was like, rip, roar, and ready to go. I started going to college. And uh, I was working full time in an office, just, you know, supporting myself through college. And then I I started, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is like kind of a weird town, man. It's like a bank, banking city, but there's a lot of young people, 
but it's very conservative. Uh, it's really weird, but there's like not a great music scene there. So I started booking shows and promoting shows with a friend of mine there. Uh, so we were just bringing in like these indie bands from all over the place to to play shows at all these clubs around town. That's when, by the way? That's what age? Like 2004, 2005. Okay, but uh, you were always, uh, so, so you were always, let's clarify that, you were always a music lover, right? Like there was something. Yeah, yeah. I, I started playing guitar when I was like maybe 12 years old. Um, and I was playing in like, you know, grunge bands and stuff in high school. Um, but I just wasn't very good. I mean, I'm not kidding myself. You know, I can't sing. Uh, I, I, I'm not like, I, can't sit there and practice scales you know i can't shred um but I, i know what what music is i know what good music is um so i was i was always doing like the management stuff for the band i was booking the shows i was you know working with other bands setting stuff up um so i always knew like yeah god i'm gonna work in music but i'm not gonna be a rock star that's not my that's not my deal um so yeah so when i got out of the military i'm like you know this is great i'm gonna work with these bands Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm working with booking agents. I'm working with record labels. Um, I'm putting up money <laughs> to, 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 to pay the bands, to pay the venues. You know, I'm selling the tickets. I'm doing all this stuff um, basically on my own, which was like trial by fire because I was losing a ton of money on some really cool bands that would have done great, you know, in like a Chapel Hill or Chicago or Los Angeles or something. Uh, but Charlotte really wasn't the place, especially in 2004, 5, 6. But it was it was a good learning experience. So when I was there, I started um, talking with another guy, this guy, Mitch Easter, who was a uh, record producer, uh, really, really big in the 80s. He produced uh, R.E.M. And he was in a band on IRS Records called Lex Active. And is like, you know, jangle pop, sort of like the the big like 80s pop movement. Uh, And he was putting out a solo album, so he needed someone to work with him for PR. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so started started working with him, started writing his bios, getting his website stuff set up, started sending out his record and uh, getting press for him. And around that same time, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, she got transferred to Los Angeles. So we moved from Charlotte, stopped doing concerts had a big blowout show with a band called cursive who were good friends of mine uh got blackout drunk you know <laughs> had a good had a good time kind of blew out the blew out the city and left um and so yeah I, i moved to los angeles never had any intentions really of living in los angeles but moved out there transferred colleges still going to college still working full-time i took a job with a pr company and i was working like some pretty weird gigs for this PR company, um, like Tupac Shakur's estate, which is kind of wild. Um, Graham Parsons estate, but then like Amoeba records and some other, some like cool stuff. I mean, it was fun, you know, uh, learn how to do PR from a professional worked in an office, uh, was working in West Hollywood, but I, I didn't love it, you know? Um, so I quit and started my own company. And so then here I am running my own company, PR company. I sold my car to sort of foot the bill. So I'm still going to college, still doing PR stuff. Um, and then let's see, this is like 2007, eight, something like that. Um, 
this guy Andy York, who I knew a little bit from his band Unbelievable Truth. I saw him play with Tori Amos in the 90s. <laughs> um, and I uh, really loved his band. And I, somehow I got in touch with him at one point and was going to start doing some PR for him. And he was putting out a solo record. Um, so I was like, you know what? How about I put your record out in the US? And I started my own record label to do that. Got distributions. It was doing the, my own like marketing and PR and stuff. Um, but had, you know, uh, distribution, digital distribution, CDs, vinyl, all that stuff all around the US. And then just started working with bands, putting out records. Um, and it's like 2008 and it's not the best time to, to, to be running a record label, to be honest with you. So I, I think I did like six or eight records and some vinyl and stuff. Um, that was a learning experience, but not anything I'd ever do again. Uh, just physical goods, man. It's, it's brutal. You know, you'll sell a bunch of records. You'll send out a bunch of records. Your, your distributor will send you checks. And then the next thing you know, it's like, they're getting returns and you have to pay the returns back because they were, it, it's like, it's a whole thing, man. It's crazy. Um, so I'm, I'm learning a lot of hard lessons, you know, I'm le learning a lot of hard lessons about running a record label, I'm learning a lot of hard lessons about doing concert promotion, paying bands, all this stuff, like expensive lessons. Um, but you know, it's valuable experience and it's not something you're going to get from a course or reading a book you, you got to get out there and do it uh, and so from the label and pr started managing bands was working with some bands in europe the us um was managing a singer songwriter friend of mine named johnny rogers who like did this does this really cool stuff with like tuned wine glasses and loops and guitar and like drum samples um he was like touring with Sunlux as their guitarist. Um, so he was also doing um, ad music. And this is like 2013 or something at this time. Um, he was do writing jingles. And that was his job. He was like writing jingles for a living, getting demo fees here and there. And then, you know, every couple of weeks, he'd finish one and get a bigger check. And that's how he supported his family. That's how he was able to like go on tour and do all those other things. I was like, man, that's great. That is amazing. Um, and that's, you know, that's sync licensing, you know? So I was like, all right, well, if he can do it, maybe other people can do it too. And so that's how I came up with the idea of um, starting Brass Tracks. And uh, so, yeah, in 2015, uh, I st started working with him, some other bands that I knew from PR and management stuff. Then I started adding other bands that I hadn't been working with and different record labels and things. And so I was doing TV, uh, film, commercial placements. And then uh, always was really excited about trailers, but didn't know anything about trailers. Didn't like, you know, I think this is kind of pretty common, right? For composers, they'll see a trailer, they'd be like, man, that's dope. <laughs> you know, that's sick. But then they'll be like, I'm going to write a trailer queue. And then they write a trailer queue. And it's like weak sauce, you know, like, just because they don't know, like they didn't, you know, maybe there wasn't a course available at the time, or, you know, they just didn't know another composer that did it to, to kind of mentor them. So it's like, you know, they're missing all the core tenants that makes a trailer queue, a trailer queue, the three X structure and the builds and, you know, all the 
nitty gritty stuff, you know, all the layering and the, the, the libraries are using like stock logic violins and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, so I knew a music supervisor in trailers uh, named Todrick Spaulding, and I had known him for a long time. His wife was my hairstylist when I lived in LA, and uh, <laughs> he uh, hung out with him a bunch at South by Southwest over the years. And he was sort of like my in to trailer music. I tried sending some stuff to him back like 2017, 2018. It just wasn't really working because I wasn't working with trailer composers. I was working with bands who had songwriters who would try to do trailer music. And I just didn't know better. Um, but, you know, having having a resource like Todrick available was amazing. He was able to teach me a lot over the years. And then like during the pandemic, when that hit, I was living at our place in Florida that we got, we bought to, to run as an Airbnb in February of 2020. Pandemic hit like weeks later, no, no bookings whatsoever. So we actually moved down there to renovate the place. Our kids were going to school on their computers. And I was like, you know what, I've got this time. TV film production was dead. Nothing was going on. Sync licensing just wasn't happening. You know, just nothing was happening. So I was like, you know, this would be the perfect time to start getting really involved and do a deep dive into trailer music. Um, so I signed up for a trailer music course. Not really a composer. I, I know enough to to be dangerous, but I'm I'm not a composer. I didn't go to school for for music. I went to school for uh, arts, entertainment, media management at Columbia College in Chicago, which is where I ended up graduating after all my moves across the country. Um, so I took this course to learn exactly what goes into trailer music, and that's how I learned, you know, the the foundation of the three act structure and the bills and the rises and the, all that good stuff. Um, and then started uh, messaging composers, being like, "Hey, I'm, I'm starting a trailer music label. Would you like to write for us?" Um, and I didn't know better. I was like, I was emailing like the big dogs, you know? <laughs> um, and some of them said, yeah. Um, so during that summer of pandemic by the pool in Florida, I created a trailer music publishing company. Um, and then December of that year, we put out our first record album collection of trailer music, uh, and just started going from there. And already started seeing placements. That's the the big thing from December. Yeah, no, I think no, we didn't see our first trailer placement until the next summer. Um, it was like some sound design stuff here and there. It it took a little while. You know, like I knew Todrick, and he was he was really supportive, but also the industry was just waking up again after COVID. Um, so yeah, it, things didn't really start popping off until like late 2021. Um, but the, the TV and film stuff I'm still doing and was still doing then. So that was like, once that started picking back up, that was like the main thing. It was like mostly bands, a little bit of trailer music. And then it started like being like, you know, balancing out. And now it's like mostly trailer music. Uh, but I still love working with bands and doing the film and TV stuff too. Mm. 
Yeah, there's a lot of a lot. Sheesh, there's a lot of <laughs> things I have. I wrote down like ten different things that came out um, from what you were saying. One of these things were was hard lessons learned. It sounds to me like you've learned from very hard, like you were willing to take leaps that other people wouldn't. And you took some beatings that other people wouldn't. And, and through that, you've become very comfortable in your skin. Um, and, that's, that's just, and that's just reading between the lines. So, yeah, um, yeah. What, what, what were you going to say? Oh, no, no, I, I, I agree with you. I'm willing to, to take those beatings. Um, but I also have a very supportive family. <laughs> and, um, you know, during, during a lot of that time, in addition to like running all these various companies and going to school, uh, we we're also having kids. And so like my wife was like executive traveling, doing all this stuff, and I was staying home with the kids. Um, so my start was a lot slower than it could have been if, you know, I just started going full time on everything. If I took a job um, at a label or a publisher, um, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work for myself. I didn't want to have a boss. I had a boss back in Los Angeles. Did not like it. <laughs> did not like having a boss. Um, so I've been my own boss ever since. I mean, you know, I, the client's king, but. I can stop whenever I want and, you know, go to Orlando. Yeah. <laughs> if I need to, but you know, even then I'm like taking emails on my phone, you know, on the splash mountain. or whatever. Yeah. You were talking, you were talking mentorship. What role has that played from your early days in music and booking and PR and, uh, in label ownership? What did that, what role did that play? Whew. Uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, I've been the mentee more than the mentor, which I think is pretty normal. Um, but I've also been fortunate enough to have some really great mentors. Uh, even in college, um, I, like I said, I went to, I ended up finishing my last year or two and getting my degree in the music business from Columbia College in Chicago. And uh, my professors there were industry veterans. Um, so I was able to kind of tap that um, resource, you know, from, from, a, from a while back. Um, Chris Kasky, he was a founder of Pitchfork, was one of my teachers or instructors. I don't even know what you call it now, I'm so old. <laughs> um, you know, people who ran record labels, people who were uh, lawyers, people who were publishers, uh, that was always a great resource. And like people like Todrick and Todrick introducing me to some other music supervisors and always willing to answer my questions and like, you know, let me know ahead of time if, if I was out of my element or, you know, on the right path, or if I had had some questions. Um, and then even like other publishers, um, like Brian Wynn has always been really nice and he's always super helpful the uh, Facebook group for uh, trailer music composers, super helpful, super nice. They're always willing to answer questions, even though they're competitors or, you know, like they're, they're willing to help out another person who might be taking a job from them, but then, you know, it all comes around. Right. Yeah. 
it's it's been happening to me uh, since entering trailer music actually that people just tend to push the envelope and take people with them. So um, actually people who've been on this podcast, we've been in work relationship where I'm, I hook him up with an ad agency that I work with. And then he hooks me up with a label that he works with. And everybody's just like stoked because we're, uh, uh, it ends up like we're going hand in hand. We are competing in each other, but uh, with each other. But then also sure. he features me on one of his tracks, and then I uh, uh, I give him a gig that provides him a, uh, a few tens of k, uh, like a few tens of thousands a year, and th- everybody's happy. There's like this, um, there's this like system within uh, within. I don't know if it's sync, but it's definitely in the in the trailer space where people kind of yeah, uh, yeah. definitely more so in the trailer space. Um, having run in the circles of like the film and TV people and yeah, I want to know uh, more about that because I've, we've talked a lot about trailers on this podcast. So I'm, I'm actually curious about the comparison. Um, You know, it's totally different uh, and yet very similar, right? Like I got into the film and TV stuff first. And so I was repping bands. I've, I've always been repping bands. And so in that situation, like, I don't own the music, right? Like, the first five years of my company, if I were to go out of business or, you know, if I had to get out of the business and sell my company, like, I have nothing to sell. Like, all the um, agreements go up in smoke. The bands keep all their stuff. I don't own any copyrights. Uh, It would be like a computer, (laughs) you know? a printer and that's pretty much it that's that's my company at the end of the day um but you know since then i've like started publishing uh songwriters and and artists and stuff like that as well so i mean that's different but then like getting into trailers um then you're the label and the publisher and so then you're actually like controlling copyrights and that's like something that is lasting um those royalties uh, are lasting for me and they're lasting for the composer. Um, so it's like, it's something tangible, you know? It's like, I look at my catalog now of like, I think we put out like our 25th release just today. Um, and that's like, that's like something, you know, it's like an email, digital file, or whatever, but it's something firm <laughs> that, that I can, can grasp and be like, you know, this is something that I help build, I help produce. Um, don't really do that with with film and tv stuff you know it's like i'll have a band come to me and um just before this uh, uh interview podcast started i just had a band that i love email me and be like hey i saw you tweeting about us uh think there's any chance that we could work together for sync and i was like fuck yeah there is <laughs> yes there absolutely is um I, you know, it, it gives me great joy to, to work with these bands and to work with these artists and work with these composers. And even though I'm, I'm not going to own anything, it's like I, I get out of it what I put into it. So uh, it, it makes me excited to do that stuff. Um, this is like a band from the early 2000s that I've loved for years. And, you know, they're like not with a label anymore and they have all their rights reverted back to them. And they're like, no one's pushing their music, you know. Like, yes, I'll do that for you. I'd love to do that. Um, so, I mean, there there are similarities, of course. You know, like, I'm constantly having to, like, sell music. Um, 
I'm pitching music for all sorts of projects. If it's a TV show, it's a movie, if it's a commercial, if it's a trailer. And, you know, so you're in both circumstances, you're constantly selling. Um, but it's it's still very different. Um, there's there's a lot of differences. <laughs> it it was, it was it was a learning curve. Yeah, but but walk me through the the PR then and PR now. What what's what common commonalities do you find, and what is what are the main differences of of PR work of the PR work? I don't do the PR work anymore. Thank God. Um, I I like I love doing it. I really did, but it was really 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 difficult um it, god i'm like spacing on the word i'm trying to use um i was under a lot of pressure you know bands would pay me up front to do these campaigns for them they'd have a new record or they'd be going on tour or you know whatever videos things like that and then they'd pay me you know like thousands of dollars up front to put the work in and they were hoping to see articles about themselves in you know rolling stone magazine and like spin and pitchfork and all these things and there's no guarantees it's such a crowded space um the whole music industry is a crowded space you know especially with like the the onset of like you know daws and people having studios in their in their bedrooms um bands have the ability to self-publish their albums so there's just like millions of of bands and songs and, and albums out there right now, uh, which maybe wasn't the case when I first started in the mid 2000s. Um, it was a lot more difficult to do that kind of thing. So, yeah, I was just under a lot of pressure all the time because they paid me hard money and I had to provide um, results and there's no guarantees in, in that sort of business. So, you know, I do as best as I can, uh, but there's no promises. So. Yeah, it's stressful, man. Um, with the the licensing stuff, it's it's still stressful because I want to do the best for the people that I'm working with. You know, they put trust in me. They're not paying me money. Um, you can, you want to pay me to, to, to put out your record? Yeah. Um, nah, just kidding. Um, they, you know, no one's paying me to do it. So it's like, I'm doing it because I love to do it and because I want to make money and I want to make them money. And it's like, it's thrilling when you get a placement, you know, it's like, there's a, a huge rush. Um, and then there's a paycheck later and that's like another kind of rush, but it's, you know, it's like, it's definitely less, less pressure just because it, we all kind of put in what we can and try to get out as much of it as possible. So yeah, the PR as soon as I started doing licensing after about a year, um, I kind of like kind of ran down everything and stopped taking new gigs and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I'll occasionally help some friends or like let them use my old email lists if they're putting out a record and can't afford to, to hire somebody. Um, and it's just, it's just it's all about like blogs and trying to find that one connection of one blogger that will listen to your music and uh, write about it. You know, mm. it's, uh, it's yeah. Where, it's whereas whereas in the trailer space, it's less like that, right? It's more like pitching and relationships, right? 
yeah, it's, it's big on relationships. That's what, you know, like, yeah, I knew people when I first started doing trailers, but I didn't know everybody. I knew a couple of major players. Like I, you know, I knew some people who were doing like huge trailer campaigns and they, it's harder to take a risk on a new publisher or like, and you know, like a composer they've never heard of or someone they've never worked with before because there's so many layers that it has to go through to get approved. Um, so they, they're kind of like, yeah, we want to help, but you know, they're not going to put us on the, the first Avengers end game or whatever, you know, like that you're going to have to work up to that. I, I want to ask, I want to get back to transferable skills. Cause again, man, like you fascinate me and I'll tell you why, because you, you've been, through you've been to so many places that aren't uh one would say aren't related to each other a lot of fields like from management to pr to uh, um to army so you know like I, I i'd love to i'd love to strip it back and to say, to ask you what um principles led you to being the person you are today of being open to so many opportunities and really uh, um and really capitalizing on things just like just before this conversation we talked about Orlando like about you just going out there because you you bought a home and you know you were like fuck it I'm I'm paying mortgage already then you you just you're just going there and and using making the the lemonade out of it uh, yeah. so to speak what were the principles and skills that led you to think that way? Oh man. I don't know. I, you know, I grew up in a very small town in New Hampshire. I was hanging out with the, you know, the stoners and the grunge kids and the skaters and the punks and, you know, like just didn't have a lot going for me there. Um, wasn't doing great in school. Was like more concerned with like laying around, watching movies, playing video games, you know, joking around with my buddies and stuff. Um, and I just didn't really see much of a future there. You know, I, I like, and you know, no, no offense to my friends who still live there, and you know, they have great lives and stuff. But it, for me, I just didn't see anything. I, I think if I had stayed there, I'd probably, you know, be like a drunk or like, you know, a burnout or like. <laughs> just kind of useless um, to, to myself, you know? So I, I did the most drastic thing possible. And I, uh, you know, I took the the gross point blank way out and I joined the, joined the Marines, went out, joined the Marines, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a hitman, but it's sometimes I feel like I just threw myself as far away from what I felt comfortable doing as possible, you know, like, I was never an athlete. I couldn't run very fast. Um, so to go out and, and join the military was kind of bonkers. Um, and no one thought it was going to work. <laughs> uh, all my friends and family were like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, I did, did my four years as fast as I could and got out better than I went in, um, you know, like mentally and uh, emotionally, you know, maybe not physically, but that's another story. It's another podcast. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm not super outgoing, to be honest with you. Like, I'm very introverted. I don't like to leave the house. Um, given the choice, I wouldn't be talking to you on a podcast right now. I'd 
be like working on my computer, like trying to finish God of War Ragnarok, which has just been a slog for me. But um, yeah, I'd like I'd rather like stay home, hang out with my family. So like I when I force myself to do these things, I take myself out of my comfort zone. Um, then it, it like weirdly opens me up to to taking these things in in a way that it it wouldn't if I didn't do these things. Um, and I'm dealing with the same stuff with my kids. I've got a 13 year old daughter who doesn't like to give her a drink order when she goes to a restaurant. You know, like she's like super shy, and and I relate to that. Um, but I, I think like from, from these kind of situations, you can grow a lot and and get the most out of it. So yeah, joining the military was nuts. Um, and it was like 1999 when I joined. There wasn't a war. There was nothing happening. So I was like, I'm going to do my four years. I'll get my GI Bill money, get out, and then figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I thought about, you know, like um, I wanted to to go into like marketing or uh, I even thought about like audio engineering. Um, I thought about graphic design, all these different things while I was in the Marines, thinking about like what I would do when I got out. And then it's like 9-11 happened. I was like, well, I'm not ready for this, you know? <laughs> and then uh, two years later, I'm in Iraq invading a country. Um, these things that I never would would have chosen to do, but I made the choice that put me into these situations. Um, and, you know, I'm better for it. Uh, I learned a lot about responsibility. Um, I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about accountability. Um, I learned a lot about taking risks and uh, being rewarded for those risks for the most part. So, you know, all that stuff I, I took with me and then I got out of the military and I went from having like D's and F's in high school to having like a 3.8 GPA out of like the three colleges that I attended um, while working full time in an office while, you know, starting a family while doing these side things in the music industry. Um, wow. So I like, I don't like to do it, but I'll, I'll kind of put myself into these pressure situations um, to uh, maybe to test myself, but um, a lot of the time, just cause it seems like the right thing to do. Uh, and yeah, I think like everything that I've done, in the music business has like been like one thing that led to another thing that led to another thing that were all different, but it was a path that was natural. You know, I did this one thing. I learned a lot from it. I had some success from it, but then like figured out the things I didn't like about it and moved on to something a little bit different. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's how I'm here. And this has been great. Like, Trailer, trailer has been great. I've had so much fun doing it. Uh, I love working with the composers. I love being part of the creative process, um, being, you know, a producer with the composer and doing revisions. I I love working with composers who have never done trailers. Now that I've had some experience, um, I like to, to be that mentor to people who are coming into it with, you know, maybe they graduated from music school and they're, you know, great songwriters or composers of classical music, but just don't quite know what trailer music is, you know, like, yeah, love to like walk through with them, 
I, I've got all these like links to YouTube videos and documents and articles that I send people. I'm like, you know, here's what you need to know. You know, here's what you need to do. Do this, come back to me, and then we'll we'll see how it goes. And then I can help you like walk through the next steps. Yeah. That's big. What is um <laughs> uh, uh, since getting into sync, let's get uh, for uh, let's get a bit um deeper into the sync world. What was a big mistake that or a misperception you had coming in uh, into this world? Was there like a significant thing that you would have done differently? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I do have the uh, ability of hindsight now, right? And yeah. looking back, it's like anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong, um, especially in music licensing, right? Like, uh, I've got a lot of stories of things that went wrong, but then they all tend to work out okay in the end. Like <clears throat> a few years back, uh, I was working with a French company, a French publisher, and I was do doing their sub-publishing for some bands and stuff. And they had um, some Django Reinhardt in their catalog. And I was like, oh, can I, you know, can I sub-pub this in the US? And they were like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So then I had these like amazing like gypsy jazz songs from the 20s that I was able to start pitching, you know? And then like that week, um, <laughs> that week I was emailing some people and there someone was like, oh yeah, we're doing this Netflix show called Altered Carbon. We want to use these two Django songs. Can you make it happen? I was like, absolutely, sure. Then come to find out, some other company in the US had the exclusive rights that the sub publisher in France didn't realize, you know? So like, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I just did all this work. I just got this like placement set up on this like awesome Netflix show of like books that I had read, you know, like yeah, I, of this artist that I loved, um, super weird. But then the, I talked to the publisher and I'm like, look, I didn't know this was happening. They didn't know it was happening. It was like some wires were crossed between the US and America. And they're like, well, you know, I'll tell you what, this other publisher was so nice. They're like, we'll let you have like the the master side for this one and we'll do the publishing side. But then after that, you know, like it's it's all ours. So, you know, I was able to make some money off of it um, and, and kind of still get that endorphin rush of like you know, hearing the music on TV. Uh, but that stuff's going to happen a lot. You know, you're going to work with a band that all of a sudden you get a placement and you're getting paperwork together. And then, oh, turns out there's this writer who's published by, you know, Ch Warner Chapel. And so all of a sudden it went from this being like quick, easy one stop to like all of a sudden you need to get like a major involved. And, you know, these things get nuts. And it's always at the last second when everyone's trying to like the episodes trying to air. Um, that is why that is why uh, as a side note a lot of uh labels like working with single composers yeah it's uh I, you know is i don't i don't mind i try to like prevent everything now on both sides whether it's trailer music or um or like film and tv stuff working with bands if there's a co-writer and they're then I'll, I'll reach out to them and be like, Hey, I'm working with this, you know, can you like pre-clear or whatever? So we can still do this as one stop. Um, and that works out pretty well, you know, but like stuff's going to go wrong. It's always going to go wrong. Uh, 
had got a placement for a band. Turns out that one of the sample he was using a sample and it was like a Beyonce vocal sample or something. It was just like an ooh, you know, type thing. Uh, but that's like a big deal. That would have like screwed me, screwed the music supervisor that placed it. You know, everyone would have been screwed. Um, but we caught it with enough time that we were able to get a vocalist to re-record some parts and get it cleared. So like, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had anything like drastic, catastrophic, um, unfixable happen yet. But I've had almosts. A lot of almost, you know, it's Murphy's Law like applies twice as much to the licensing world. And I will and I will chime in and say uh, this is a skill from the army. I've I've also I've done army in Israel, um, and I wanted to back uh, backtrack to your story, and it, it reminds me of my story in so many ways. Where um, after the army, I went as far as I could from Israel, so I went to Australia first. There was this pull in me that I could not explain. People were thinking that I'm a crazy hippie, that I'm turning into this like uh, 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 Woodstock guy who's just like uh, um, this nomad weirdo. Um, <laughs> but in the end of the day, that pull led me to go to New York with $2,000 to my account and to create the world that I wanted to create because I understood how to mitigate error so before it happens like before the sample metaphorically before the sample gets <laughs> caught i can i can see it from a bigger lens because i already have that reading of a situation that every situation can go to shit like there can be a nine another 9-11 at any second there there are probably people being slaughtered at this mo- there are people being slaughtered at this moment somewhere in the world so having this perspective of of non-attachment to something mm. is something that I, I see in you and I, I see in myself also. And, and I really um, I, I, I really appreciate it from a deeper from a deeper place because yeah. it takes it takes it takes a, a deep look inside to get to something like that. Um, and it leads me to a question. What is to Brian McKinney, what does success look like in general? And what does success in sync look like? Hmm. I mean, success in general is like doing what you love and being able to look at yourself in the mirror, you know, at the end of at the end of the day before you get in bed, being able to like, before you close your eyes and go to sleep, being like, you know, did I do things right today? And being able to answer yes, you know. Uh, are my kids going to be proud of me? Is my wife going to be proud of me? Uh, my family going to be proud of me? Are the people that I work with going to be proud of me? Then, you know, that's, that's success to me. Um, money's cool. You know, money buys you like, uh, an Airbnb in Florida and like, you know, take you to Disney on a long weekend and stuff. But, um, you know, money's just money, you know, shit's just shit. I mean, like, uh, I grew up without stuff. Um, so, I mean, I, I know it's possible to, to live uh, very frugally. Um, so it's, it's, it's more about just like having that respect for yourself and, and being respected by the people you care about. There's going to be people who think that I'm an asshole or that, you know, there's going to be people who maybe think I'm shady for like whatever reason. You know, there's just like there's going to be preconceived notions and conceptions of people that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more important like yourself how you feel about yourself and how your family feels about you. Um, success in sync 
you know, I like, I still am happy when I land a $500 MTV Teen Mom 2 placement, you know, like that's still cool. Um, I work with some bands and we do like 12 a year for them on like MTV shows, you know, um, it's not the glamorous placement that you're like bragging all your friends about maybe, but it's cool, you know? Um, so I, I just, I, I, success is like, it's, it's kind of like feeding the addiction um, when it comes to, to being a publisher, I'm sure a composer is like getting those placements and, and getting that endorphin rush and like, and getting that excitement. Um, and I just like keeping that excitement up. I mean, that's like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's cool to get a check. It's always cool to get a check, but um, you know, I remember getting our first like big trailer placement in like Dr. Strange two. I was in the movie theater, just finished watching Dr. Strange two and the composer, um, Caleb Swift texted me and he's like, congratulations i'm like congratulations on what you know and then like saw the spot and i'm like you know like you just like swell up with joy and like there's all these emotions um and so i mean they're like there's like these you know surreal moments like that that happen um helping helping composers get their first placement is like the coolest thing in the world um it's kind of like validates them to themselves like you know i've been putting all this work in for however long whether it's been months or years or whatever and it's possible you know um it just needs like the right cue the right project the right you know publisher the right whatever um but it's possible you know that's 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 great that's that's success right like making other people's dreams come true while like making yourself insanely happy and getting some money <laughs> like yeah that, it, nothing better than that man it's so yeah cool. A big thing that sticks out from that is like keeping the excitement. Yeah, like that is that is a big thing, and I've I, I, I've talked to it uh, uh, with Phil Lober in the last podcast, and we were talking about like jadedness and how easy it is to get jaded. And oh, I believe it. one of the yeah. reason one of the reasons is people do the same thing again and again and expect different results. And that's why that's why again I dove in so deep into what you've been through because you've been through all these uh, all these things that that were uh, essentially blocks in the, in your way but yeah. they were big boulders but you can choose to try to move the boulder that is way heavier than you or you can maybe just scoot scoot around it like or, or you know like that's right be water he's just kind of like yeah got to be water yeah. he's just got to be able to to be like this isn't working all right and just going yeah. going around it moving on to the next thing you know we'll we'll, we'll make it happen in tomorrow you know yeah yeah big facts big facts it's, and i know uh, there's uh yeah sorry oh no i'm just saying like to to talking about excitement man it's like I, whether it's bands that i work with i want to be excited about stuff when it was uh, pr clients it's like i didn't want to work for a paycheck i wanted to work with like bands that i want to listen to and that i'm excited about it's i want to get placements on shows that i'm excited about getting a stranger things placement it was like amazing right because it's one of my favorite shows and now it's like my daughter's favorite show. Um, wow. My daughter and I just played through The Last of Us video games like over Christmas. And uh, it's like her new favorite thing now, you know? So it's like, man, I 
really want to get a last of us placement you know like <laughs> you if, if you get these projects that are coming up and you're like i'm really passionate about this thing i would love to work on this thing it might not happen that's fine but having that having that passion and that excitement like drives you to to try even harder um and you're gonna find your successes are are like um significantly more for those things that you're passionate about versus being just being like oh yeah here's here's a cue check it out mm-hmm. instead of being like i love this thing i love this cue <laughs> you know put it in this thing and let's let's make it freaking happen mm. yeah there's 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 a push but there's a push with a vision yeah yeah oh I, that's big <laughs> it's fine yeah it's it's like it, it's we're not curing cancer you know i know that we're like selling tickets to a movie that like is going to make some rich person richer but it's making you know like i love movies i've always loved movies i've uh i just i love entertainment you know like i love video games i love tv shows uh i don't really love commercials but you know <laughs> You know, sometimes there's really cool commercials too, you know? Um, but yeah, I just, I just love all that stuff. I love music and I love being able to do it all together. Um, so it's just keep keeping that passion up is, is really important. And I mean, that goes for composers too. I know they're like a lot of people who don't want to do customs and only want to do albums or don't want to do albums and only want to do solo, you know, whatever, like, you just find the thing that you are passionate about and focus on that to make yourself happy because there's no point in like trying to make other people happy if you're going to be miserable. Yes. hundred uh, percent. You know, people I'll ask someone if they want to do a custom and they'll say, no, I don't want to. And that's fine. <laughs> that's mm. okay. It's like, I'm, mm. I'm not mad at you. I get it. Yeah. Uh, can be, can be a grueling business if you go through a period of, trying stuff and trying stuff and trying stuff and not being successful at it or uh you know it's it'll happen though stick with it see what happens you know i can, as long I can as you're not hurting anybody. yeah i I'd, I'd love to piggyback on that because it's just you know i see a lot of uh people in the in the in the custom space that are really tired of doing yeah. customs but they are doing customs they keep doing customs uh because of the hopes that something hits or whatnot but to me it's there is something in it that's forgetting if i'm forgetting about the real reason why i'm here yeah uh, which is to create that uh, um endorphin rush for myself and then also be able to express it out yeah if you're not happy with that then there's there's some there's just some questions that need to be asked mm-hmm. um that's all i'm saying and Yes, and I love how uh, circling back to what you were saying, like, am I making my children happy? You are factually making your children happy, like you know, <laughs> like, and you were you're talking about. It. I'm getting goosebumps speaking about it, uh, um, and I'm just, uh, I, I just really hope that that dads can take can take something out of it because it's super important, and for, and and like just um, just to ride on what you were saying so far for me when i sometimes i get ad gigs and i'm actually feeling a little bit drained after that which makes sense <laughs> I, I i connect to i connect to 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 custom to to the custom producers in that way but then after doing that i have to balance it i'll go to the mountains 
or I'll go to uh, um, so, somehow get a breather out of this, maybe make uh, some weird experimental music, synth music for a day, just like lock myself out or do something completely different like manual labor. Maybe I'll go gardening, maybe I'll go whatever, but have a breather. But for me, I have a breather from that. And, and that's super important for me in order to keep my passion going uh, towards my craft and what I am doing. So I love what you were saying because what you are r- relating to is to leaving a legacy. That's all, that's all I hear uh, in the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would never like say that about myself. <laughs> that seems like a little pretentious, but I mean, it's, it's not untrue, right? Like you, you want, you want to like leave something behind after you're gone. Um, for a lot of people that might be like a song, you know, like for me, it's not going to be a song. I don't really write the best songs, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I like to think I could find the best song. Um, and help someone get their best song out to the world in whatever way that is, um, which, which is a legacy in and of itself. You know, uh, making someone else's dream come true—that's that's a legacy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I I'm not like I don't know if my kids are going to be in music or or what, you know. But um, they they think it's cool, right? Like I'm talking to them about like customs we're working on, and they're like. I love that movie. Like, or, you know, I love the first one or whatever. Um, and that's awesome. That makes me feel good. Um, it's, you know, I'm not like, I, I don't feel like I ever want to be like the CEO, you know, like, um, I'm happy being the boutique. I'm happy getting placements on a fairly regular basis without having to have an accounting department and like you know a sales director and like this and that and this and that um i love working with people and i love being like creative with people um but i don't i don't i don't really feel like i ever want brash to be like 25 people in an office building um because that's you know I don't I don't like having a boss and I don't really want to be a boss. Like I I I did I did I had to be a boss in the Marines, you know. Um I have to be a boss to my kids. Like I don't want to be a boss all day long, all the time. Um so yeah, I'm like I, I I'm really happy with how things are going. Um and seeing how far I can build things while still keeping it at a boutique level, you know. I would love to see where that goes. Um, before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you a, qu- a quick question. Yeah. How would you define in three words, how would you define your working style slash your, uh, uh, yeah, your working, your, your, your working personality in the sync world? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, manic yet reserved. Um, I I'm an excitable dude. Um, while I don't like to go out and like go to parties and like, you know, be that guy. I'm like that, but I'm like very excited about things. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't like to like be too crazy about it. So yeah, like I have a lot of energy and a lot of passion for what I do, but I, 
I don't always express that <laughs> like to the world, you know. Hundred percent resonate with that. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, Brian. I gotta ask you one last question. Where where can people find you? Where can people contact you? Uh, maybe submit music. Maybe yeah. Yeah, I absolutely you? love. I love getting music. I love listening to music. Um, when I have time, I love giving feedback and like detailed notes. Um, sometimes it's busier times than others, so you know don't like be too upset if I don't write you back right away. But um, brasstracks.com is the website. And there's contact page there, um, Twitter, Brass Tracks, Facebook, Brass Tracks, um, Instagram, Brass Tracks. Um, yeah, hit me up at any of those places. I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably get it eventually. I mean, I'm not on all of them all the time, but I, as much as I can be for sure. Facebook, Man. I'm on all the time because that's how I talk with most of the composers. Man, thank you so much. I'm gonna leave thank that all you. in the show notes and. Thank you so much for coming on Sync Gems. I appreciate it, man. Yo, if you like this, if you dig this, make sure to leave us a five-star rating with a review. Hit me up on socials with that review, and I will make sure to send you some dope samples I've made for myself that have helped me on my journey. And aside from that, when you leave a review, this really helps it to get to more ears and helps me to reach out to more amazing, high caliber professionals that can tell you more about the sync world. So see you on the next episode of Sync Gems. Peace. <laughs>